There's a hidden trap in the Government Accountability Office's rules for contract award protests. The trap closed on the foot of one contractor trying to do business with the Army. Procurement Attorney Joseph Petrillo of Smith Pactor McWhorter joins us with the details. And Joe, tell us about this. It seems like an ordinary protest, but it really turned up something that contractors need to be aware of that could trap them. So tell us about it. Absolutely. To set the stage, this was a procurement uh, by the Army for logistics support services at Fort Benning, Georgia. The solicitation, it was a task order procurement, but there was a solicitation that had evaluation criteria spelled out, and they were basically lowest cost technically acceptable. The technical factors, small business participation, and past performance were all pass-fail criteria. Past performance required a minimum score of substantial confidence. The cost price factor was evaluated for both realism and reasonableness, and that's because In a uh, cost-type contract, the government can make cost realism adjustments to prevent someone from underbidding the costs, and the government would later have to be faced with either funding the overrun or stopping performance, which wouldn't be feasible for this type of contract. In any event, the evaluation took place. The government added a cost realism adjustment to one of the offerors, Vectris. That caused it to be not the lowest cost proposer. So they made award to VS2. Vectris protested and uh, they protested successfully. They said, look, we had a situation where we might have underbid, but we committed ourselves to bear that cost and not charge the government for the cost. And we were legally bound to do that. GAO agreed that the government would not bear the possibility of a cost overrun. And because of that, It said that the cost realism adjustment was improper. So they granted the protest and the Army went ahead on the basis of that uh, decision and awarded the task order to Vectris. At this point, VS2 protests and claims that Vectris submitted a proposal that was unacceptable. They had several reasons why it was unacceptable. And of course, that would cause the proposal being eliminated from consideration. Unacceptable other than for low prices. Exactly. Uh, And VS2 would then have been in position for award. Now, in terms of the issues that were raised, some of them had already been raised in the Vectris protest. The issues were raised by VS2, which had intervened to defend the protest. And VS2 claimed that Vectris, again, the, the proposal was unacceptable. And because it was unacceptable, Vectris was not a proper protester. In order to be a proper protester, you have to have submitted a proposal that could be the basis for award if the protest is successful. So on those issues, GAO said, look, we already looked at those. We rejected them. There's a mechanism for reconsideration. That deadline's passed. We're not going to revisit those issues. But then VS2 also raised new reasons why the Vectris proposal was unacceptable, reasons that were not raised in the original Vectris protest. GAO said, nope, we're not going to go there either. Those were issues that should have been raised, could have been raised, and therefore should have been raised in the prior protest because they would have led to the unacceptability of the proposal. That would have meant that Vectris was not a proper protester, and it would have influenced the decision there. So the protest was denied on all grounds. We're speaking with procurement attorney Joseph Petrillo of Smith Pactor McWhorter. So a quick review went to VS2. Vectris protested, and they won and got the award. 
Then VS2 tried to keep bringing up various reasons, but basically it was too late. They had their chance, is basically what the GAO said. That's exactly right. This is basically a rule that's going to prevent GAO from deciding a protest and prevent the protester from having GAO hear the protest, but it's not spelled out in the bid protest regulations. So, you know, this is one of, I think, many instances where there are hidden traps in government contracting, where the rules uh, really should spell out in more detail things that are only set out in decided cases. And there are a lot of these, and, and sometimes they can trip up even very experienced counsel. And to go back to the original solicitation, both companies submitted bids. Could VS2 have known about flaws in Vectris's proposal before the award went to Vectris in the first place? In other words, during the back and forth of the protest, VS2 could have raised all those issues before GAO decided in favor of Vectris. That's right. Probably the proposals were in the protest record under the protective order, and VS2's counsel would have had access to them and been able to raise issues based on that. You know, this is a situation, I think, where you've got a uh, hidden rule and, and it tripped up the protester. But in this particular instance, it doesn't necessarily mean those issues won't get decided. What has happened since is VS2 has gone to the Court of Federal Claims and filed a bid protest. And so presumably it's going to get its day in court at the Court of Federal Claims because they don't have the same timeliness rules that GAO has. And they haven't considered any of these issues yet. So in other words, the big lesson here is don't raise objections to the other guy's proposal until after GAO has changed it and they've gotten the award. That is to say, during the protest hearings, that's when you've got to raise everything. Yeah, the general rule at GAO is they want you to raise everything as soon as possible. And sometimes that leads to people out of an abundance of caution raising issues too soon and having them <laughs> rejected at that point. But it's better to be in that position than to do it too late. Got it. And there's caution here for the government also because it applied a cost reasonableness adjustment, which turned out to be not valid for it to do, not because the prices were unreasonable, but because the contractor had agreed to eat whatever losses might occur because of the price they submitted. That's right. Uh, cost realism adjustments are a frequent protest ground in, in this type of contract. Yeah, it seems like the government's sort of putting its thumb on the scale in a way to do a price reasonableness adjustment. Well, the basic reason for that is not to put the government in a position where someone has deliberately underbid the contract and then says, well, we've run out of money, so either you give me more or uh, I stop performance. And if the government can't stop performance at that point, uh, it's kind of stuck with funding the overrun. Yes. For example, if the labor rates that are part of the bid are 49 cents an hour, then probably they have underbid on pricing and they need a little adjustment. <laughs> That's right. And it, it's one of the things that makes evaluating cost type contracts a real difficult art and something that requires lots of data and judgment. Joseph Petrillo is a procurement attorney with Smith Pactor McWhorter. As always, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, 
Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over two million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors and it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place. So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want 
the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've uh, led this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Want your business to have the best opportunity for success? Take a tip from tech industry leader Intel when you move or expand in Ohio. The new Silicon Heartland is the place forward-thinking business leaders find ample talent, a highly ranked business climate, convenient central location, plus an especially low-risk environment for site selection. Where else can you have all the room you need to grow while rubbing elbows with the giants in your industry? Visit successinohio.com today. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.